We'll grab a Bible and turn to Matthew chapter 6 as we continue to look at the Lord's Prayer together as a church. It's page 1380 in the Pew Bibles. You grab a Pew Bible in front of you. I know we'll just look at a few words, but it's powerful for us to turn to God's Word together as a church. And uh, in Matthew 6, we continue with one of the phrases in the Lord's Prayer, which says, Forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Uh, you know, my marriage uh, is just like any, um, any marriage represented in the room and that we sometimes, occasionally, have moments where we need to say I'm sorry, um, where we've done something that needs to be said, oh, I'm sorry I did that. And like many of us, it's often small things. I'm sorry I forgot to pick that up on the way home. I'm sorry I left the door open, whatever it is. Um, every once in a while, there's something that's more significant that one of us needs to apologize for. And more often than not in our marriage, so my wife Ashley is fantastic. She's lovely and gracious. And more often than not in our marriage, it's me having to ask uh, for, for forgiveness for something that I've done. Um, but on the rare occasion that Ashley has done something that really has hurt me, I have made the mistake every time of milking it for all it's worth. (laughs) I don't know if you've ever done this, where you try to milk the need for forgiveness for so long that you end up having to ask for forgiveness from that. (laughs) I think what happens is, like, the little bit of power that you have in the situation goes to your head. (laughs) And then all of a sudden, as we all know, power corrupts. And in those moments, like, I end up settling for the power and control that I get in these little moments, uh, this little petty selfishness, um, rather than actually receiving the beautiful forgiveness that's been extended to me and the possibilities of the power of that forgiveness as well. And so when we see this in the Lord's Prayer, what I want you to see is that forgiveness is the power to stand not in my own kingdom, but the power to stand in God's kingdom. Not on my own power, the power to stand with God and the transformation that he has for our lives. We've been talking about the Lord's Prayer and trying to get you to see that prayer is not primarily like bringing our list to God, but that prayer both historically and biblically is primarily about the posture that we regularly take before God. We We set aside time to pray that we could otherwise use for anything else that we want to be productive for. Instead, we say, God, what do you have for us? Prayer is asking God to be productive in our lives in the ways that only he can. And when Jesus taught his disciples to pray this and teaches us to pray this, he's teaching us that we're formed into a posture of forgiveness because forgiveness has the power to change our lives and to change the world. Corey Tenboom was a uh, Holocaust survivor. She was a young Dutch woman who her family had been taking in Jewish, um, Jewish citizens who were on the run from the Nazi regime, and they were caught, and her whole family was sent to a concentration camp where they were tortured alongside of Jewish citizens. And um, uh, she, years later, after they were released from the prison camp, she, was, uh, she ran into one of the prison guards who had overseen the concentration camp where her family was kept. And to everyone's surprise, she quickly and lavishly offered forgiveness to this prison guard. And everyone was stunned. And here's what part of what she said in response. She said, I discovered that it's not on our forgiveness any more than our goodness that the world's healing hinges, but on his, on God's. 
when he tells us to love our enemies, he gives, along with the command, the love itself. And so when we see this passage today, what we see is Jesus is teaching us that he himself gives us the forgiveness that we need to offer forgiveness. That as God is powerfully transforming and healing the world one person at a time, that to learn to pray this is to also posture ourselves and align ourselves with the God who is pouring transformative and powerful forgiveness into our communities, into our world, into our churches, into our own homes and our lives. Now, uh, this phrase is not just about forgiveness in general, though like all aspects of forgiveness are important. It's not about reconciliation, though reconciliation is adjacent to forgiveness, and it's also very important. This passage particularly, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, is primarily about what it means for us to receive God's forgiveness and for us to demonstrate God's, God's forgiveness in the world, for us to receive it, and then it creates in us a powerful culture of forgiveness that is transformative. And it begins with this phrase, forgive us our debts, because we all need forgiveness. Now, you might think, I don't know, I'm a pretty good person. I don't do that much wrong. I'm at least better than so-and-so. You can probably think of somebody who you think that, I don't, I don't mess up as much as that person. I'm pretty good. Overall, I'm not that bad. Um, but the truth is, we all reject God pretty much daily. If we're honest, we all live in ways that ignore God's presence and that decide to love ourselves instead of loving others or loving God. We always, every day, make little decisions which put us out of alignment with who God has made us to be. In fact, the word, the Greek word that's translated into debts and debtors is a legal word. So you may have seen it used as sins or trespasses, but debts makes a lot of sense. It's a legal word that describes a debt that's occurred, right? A debt that's accrued between when you, when you take on debt from someone. So sin itself is described as a sense of us taking on a debt, of us accruing a sense of a gap between us and another. And in, in this way, sin is a gap between us and God, and that we regularly live in ways that distance us from God and from others and even from who we are created to be. And what we find is that we are incapable, no matter how hard we work, no matter how much we learn, no matter how good we react, we cannot close that gap because it is a gap with a holy God and we are not holy. And we mess up far more than we do the right thing. And so we find that the gap continues to grow because we constantly live in selfish ways. Now, the good news, this is what we proclaim. We talk about being a church that's open to how the gospel moves. The gospel or good news is the story about how God moves into our world to close the gap, to erase the debts that Jesus dies on the cross to take on our sin, our brokenness, our debt, so that he could close the space between us and God, so that when God sees us, he doesn't see the debt, he sees Jesus, and Jesus is righteous and forgiven, and that means that we have been fully forgiven of any brokenness, and that doesn't just mean like, okay, the debt is removed, it is, the debt is removed, and now we are available to the life that God has for us because that debt has been removed. There's nothing stopping us from experiencing the fullness of God's goodness. 
Christ stands in our place. We have a forgiven status and a good life does not come from our ability to make our lives better, to be better, but because God enters into the mess of our lives and declares us forgiven. 20th century writer C.S. Lewis said, to be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. The good news has the power to change us and our world because it removes the debt. It removes the burden. We live not under sin and guilt, but under the freedom of forgiveness. And not only does Jesus forgive, but his forgiveness is the thing that has the power to help us see others, even those who have offended us, as those who Christ also loves and whom he also died for. This year we have a uh, a pastoral resident who's working with her. Her name's Claire Miller. She's a wonderful young leader and thinker. And, and she actually wrote, so every sermon series we preach here, we have a little sermon series brief that like ties it all together. Here are the different sermons. Here's the big picture. And Claire wrote the brief for this sermon series. And in the little section she wrote on today's sermon, here's what she said. I just thought it was beautiful, so I want you to see it. She said, encountering our forgiveness each and every day, also changes the way we interact with others, especially those who have wronged us, as we extend to them the same grace God has offered us. It's just powerful to imagine that we can offer forgiveness because we have been forgiven. And the thing is, he's, he's not just saying, because you are forgiven, you will forgive which is true, but what he's also saying is that if we refuse forgiveness, we actually carry the burden of lack of forgiveness in our own souls, like it does damage to us, right? So if we're holding on tightly, think about the example of of me trying to like leverage uh, the lack of forgiveness. Uh, If you're holding on tightly to forgiveness, if you're not giving it to people, you're actually keeping yourself from receiving God's grace because you're holding on to something else instead. You're exchanging what God has done for you for what you wanna hold on to and keep leverage and power over a situation, over others by not receiving, by not letting forgiveness come from you to others. You're not able to receive God's forgiveness. And we incur that debt. We incur that burden in our souls. We carry it heavy. And you know this, right? You, you can feel it. When you haven't forgiven someone and you're carrying the burden of it. Pastor Derwin Gray, who wrote the book, God, Do You Hear Me? He says that in learning how to forgive, we will see the humanity of those who have offended us. The cost of unforgiveness is too great to pay. When we hold on to the offenses of others, we refuse the grace that God has extended to us. Jesus says there is no other way. We cannot receive the grace of God while refusing to extend grace and forgiveness to others. Now, that is not to say that we earn our salvation or we earn grace by giving it, but it is to say that we cannot fully receive it. We cannot let it be operative in our lives. God's grace is there, but we will refuse to live in it while we're holding on to forgiveness and not giving it to others. 
And that's why Jesus says to pray this, not because forgiveness is an obligation, but because it's a magnetic force that's drawing us closer and closer to the heart of God, that prayer is fuel for daily life in God's kingdom, and life in God's kingdom looks like forgiveness. Prayer is the thing we do every life, every day that gets our imaginations around the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God looks like extending forgiveness because we have been forgiven ourselves. But maybe forgiveness is hard. Maybe the offense has been great. Maybe somebody, maybe you would say, like, you don't know what they've said to me. You don't know what they did to me. You don't know the history that's behind all of this. Forgiveness can be hard. I'm not saying it's easy. I mean, in the words of Taylor Swift in her song, This Is Why We Can't Have Nice Things, here's to you, because forgiveness is a nice thing to do. Ha ha, I can't even say it with a straight face. Right? Forgiveness is not easy. Forgiveness is not always popular. But it is the way of Jesus. It is the way of his kingdom. It is the way to live out our faith. And yet, we do not have the power to do it on our own, but we have the power to do it because we have been forgiven. If it's hard for you to forgive, you're not alone. We all have stories of forgiveness that are difficult for us. I can remember years ago, I had, I had hired someone to work for me, and and that person, I thought things were going well, they were doing a good job, we had a good relationship, until I was driving down the road, I can still remember where I was, I answered the phone, and my boss said, did you know that so-and-so met with me today and tried to take your job? And just like my, you know, like my, my heart sunk into my stomach, and, and I was freaked out, and uh, like, wow, like they, they, they made an appointment with my boss to tell my boss that they should have my job, not me. And it took me years to get over that. It took me years to offer forgiveness. Now, here's the thing. I don't even know if that person knows they did something wrong. They left soon thereafter, took a job somewhere else. I left soon after that. But for years, that story would just hit me. And I would, you know, like I would have that same moment to replay over again. I had to let God reconcile that in my life. I had to forgive that person. I haven't even told them. Right? Sometimes you don't get to tell them. Sometimes they don't even ask for forgiveness and you need to extend it anyways because it's not about changing them. It's about receiving the change of God in you. Where do you need to give forgiveness? We all have stories of forgiveness and unforgiveness in our lives. And so one of the practices we have as a church, if uh, we want to be open to how the gospel moves, one of the practices of openness is, uh, is the practice of relationship. And last fall, we encouraged you to be in uh, spiritual companionship or relationship with at least one other person, that you have someone in your life who you can talk about the good and the ugly of your faith together. And if you haven't done that, this might be a good time to start because I'm going to challenge you to find someone who you can let them know, I need to forgive this person. I need to forgive these people. I need to forgive in this situation. That you could find someone, tell them about it, ask them to hold you accountable to it, pray for it, right? So we want to pray for it, make sure we bring it to God in prayer. And then set an appointment, set a reminder, find some kind of a rhythm of accountability. 
whether it's like, hey, let's check in once a week or once a month or in six months and see how it's going, but like set a rhythm of accountability to remind yourself like, yeah, I actually do wanna live this out because the thing is, uh, forgiveness isn't a one-time thing, right? I said, when, when I think about every once in a while, the way this previous employee treated me, it still to this day can like ping my soul a little bit, but I'm a work in progress just like you and I'm letting God heal it. That's why we pray it. We pray it over and over because it's a work in progress because it's something, forgiveness is not a thing that's done in the past. It's a constant thing we're learning and growing in. Who do you need to forgive? Where do you need to grow in forgiveness and who can help hold you accountable to that? because we believe that forgiveness has the power to change our lives. It is the power to stand in God's kingdom so that we live in the world differently as Christ followers, as people of forgiveness, because we have experienced forgiveness ourselves. In 2006, there was a school shooting in Nickel Mines, Pennsylvania, Amish community, and those of you who remember the story will, might remember that uh, it became a story of forgiveness very quickly. That it was, uh, it was much the way that Emmanuel AME in Charleston did a few years ago, that as, right after the shooting, the stories of forgiveness started pouring out. And the media didn't really know what to do with it. Because it was, it was like, how, how could you potentially, like they were, they were fascinated by it, but also confused by it. Like how could you potentially, how could you forgive in such an awful situation? Like the worst tragedy has occurred and you quickly offered forgiveness. And it was shocking. It can be shocking in an unforgiving world to see forgiveness extended. Um, and as I, as I read this past week, I was looking at the story from Nickel Mines, uh, Pennsylvania, which was an Amish community and, and the shooter was not an Amish person. He was a young man, and his, uh, when his parents found out that it was their son, the husband looked the wife in the face and said, we will never be able to face our Amish neighbors again. And then a few days later, they had a funeral for their son, a little small private family, and they're there at the graveside, and 40 members of the Amish community circle around them at the graveside and pray with them and weep and pray for them and offer forgiveness to that family. And years later, as they're interviewing members of that community, they say, it's not been easy, but it's been right. It's not been, it's not been an easy thing to do, but, but we continue to forgive. And it wasn't a one-time thing. They have to continually forgive in their hearts because their faith drives them to say there's something better that's possible when we let this go than if we hold on to it and let it eat away at our souls. That if they held on to it and didn't forgive, they know that they would be the ones allowing it to punish them over and over. But they believe something better was possible. And that's why we come back to the good news. That because the gospel moves because God has forgiven us and continues to forgive. Like his gospel goes with us, right? The more mistakes we make, the gospel's chasing after us and forgiving us. The more we live in that forgiveness, we're willing to extend that forgiveness to others. It is not easy, but it is good. It is letting the burdens off of our souls, letting God be the one to carry it, not carrying it ourselves. Because the gospel moves, I can be open to forgiveness. Amen? I wanna give us a moment just to reflect moment to pray together in silence as uh, I put some questions on the screen and, and just to give you a moment as you think about forgiveness, 
as you think about forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, who do you need to forgive? Who do you need to forgive? Maybe it's a, a person or a group of people or a family. Uh, and then the other question is, where do you need forgiveness in your life? Oh, it says, who do you need to ask for forgiveness? So who do you need to forgive and who do you need to ask for forgiveness? And just think about this and what it means for you to live in this space where you know that you are forgiven and therefore you can extend forgiveness to others. I'm gonna pray for us and give us a little bit of silence for you to reflect, maybe a couple minutes, and then um, we'll end by saying the Lord's Prayer together. Holy God, you tell us to ask, seek, and to knock. And so we're here asking, seeking, and knocking, both for forgiveness for ourselves and asking that you would allow your forgiveness to flow through us to others, even in ways that we may not have anticipated or expected when we came in here this morning. Begin the healing process in us as we participate in your forgiveness. Please join me in saying the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.